0: I want to get into, back into the word again with you. I, I, you know, I don't apologize for this being a Bible-based, Christ-centered church. Uh, we do spend an awful lot of time. I hear more and more people um, who uh, go to churches. Well, let me just talk about this. I, I, I think this is this is this is where we need to go. We we got a problem. America, we have a problem. I mean, we really do. We, ha- we have a problem. But I don't think it really has much to do with our politics. It has everything to do with our faith. It has everything to do with our faith. Just this year, LifeWay Research surveyed 3,000 Americans. And they found that although 75% of Americans identify themselves as Christians, call themselves Christians, a surprising percentage of us embrace ancient heresies that have been condemned by all major Christian traditions. In other words, most Americans say they're Christian, but they're better described as Christian heretics. What's a heretic you might ask? A heretic is a person who believes something contrary to Orthodox teaching. A heretic is someone who believe something contrary to orthodox teaching. Heresy is anything other than orthodox teaching. For instance, the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is the second person of the triune God, eternally existing with the Father. Eternally existing with the Father. There is no beginning to Jesus. There is no end to Jesus. He was, he is, he is to come. The Bible clearly teaches that he is the second person in the the Trinity, but over half of Americans say that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Not that he is God, but he has been created by God. That's a heresy that's known as Arianism, and that Arianism was condemned by the church back in 325 A.D. That's a long time ago, but yet most of us still believe it. Now, it, it probably comes as no surprise that Americans in general lack basic uh, theolo- uh, theolo- theological knowledge. I promise I'm not on any medication. <laughs> comes as no surprise that most of us really don't know much about theology. Because after all, most Americans who call themselves Christians don't really take their faith seriously anyway. They just kind of dabble in it. And many of us, the rest of us, that we're members of another religion or we don't claim any religion at all. So, uh, wh- what about those who proudly wear the label Christian? Those of us who proudly buy our Christian t-shirts and put our Jesus fish on the bumpers of our car. What about us? Those of us known as evangelical Christians. Do you think... We have a better understanding of what real theology, of of good theology is. Actually, you're right. I saw some of you shaking your head. No, we don't. The reality is we scored even more poorly on this little quiz than the general population did. Seven in ten of us, seven in ten of those who proudly name the name of Jesus, who wear the t-shirts, listen to the Christian music, have the Jesus fish on our bumpers, seven in ten of us, believe that Jesus is a created being not God himself almost half of us say that we believe we believe God accepts the worship of all religions not just Christianity but also Islam and two-thirds of us believe that heaven is a place where all people will be reunited with their loved ones all people regardless of their faith belief Apparently, listen. Apparently, most evangelical American Christians like us are actually universalists. We believe anything goes. Apparently, we don't really believe Acts four twelve that says salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. It's a sad indictment of the current state of the American church. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that we've become a nation of doctrinal dummies? Why does it matter that most folks like us would flunk a simple quiz on basic Christian theology and teachings? It matters because it's those teachings, it's those Christian doctrines that shape our beliefs. It's those Christian doctrines that decide our values and our priorities. It's, it's those teachings, those sound biblical teachings that guide our conduct and will determine the course of our lives. This is true. Listen to me. What you believe will make you who you are. What you believe will make you who you are. So without knowing and believing the truth, without knowing and believing the truth, we risk becoming a church and a people who worship a God we don't really know and we risk becoming a church serving a God that we don't really understand and we risk becoming a church and a people telling others about a God we've never even really met ourselves you see the importance of this without knowing the truth without knowing firmly what we believe and why we believe it we risk becoming a church that offers false answers to a hurting world that will only result in more pain for them and for us. We risk becoming a church filled with confused people, leading confused people into even more confusion. That's where we are today, I believe. Charles Spurgeon told the story, a great, great British uh, preacher from the past, Charles Spurgeon. He told the story of an Irishman who had attended a religious meeting. And when asked about the meeting, the Irishman replied, Oh, it was lovely. None of us knew anything, and we all taught each other. It's kind of where we're at today. (laughs) We all got something to say, it's just that it's not worth very much. We've all got an opinion about the matter, but we don't really know if it's true or not. It's lovely, none of us know anything, but we're all teaching one another. I'm afraid that's where American Christianity is today, and I am also, I believe that that explains the mess we're in as a nation, politically, socially, culturally. I believe that we are where we are today because people like you and me don't really know the truth. We play at it, we dabble in it, but we don't really know it. And it shapes the way we see things. It shapes our lives. It shapes the way we vote. It shapes the politicians we put in our, okay, you guys, you get it. You get what I'm saying. We just don't know. And so that's why we keep doing the same. It's insanity, isn't it? It's time we come to know the truth. And that's why I want to focus on the, on the word of God because the word of God is truth. The word of God will keep us focused. It will keep us sharp. It will keep us moving in the right direction. It will shape the way we, believe, we see things. Not from our perspective, but from God's perspective. Do you think your perspective is reality or is God's perspective reality? Absolutely. You can't lead God into a delusion, but I can lead any of you into a delusion. If I'm just charismatic enough and say the right thing, you'll follow me. I don't want you to follow me. I want you to follow Jesus. Amen? All right. In Colossians 2, 8-10, Paul emphasizes our need to know and believe the truth. False teachers had come into the church at Colossae and were trying to get their eyes off of Jesus and on to other things. But Paul says, no, this is the truth. This is the truth. This is what you should believe. This is what you should should understand about the truth. Especially the truth about Jesus. Especially the truth about Jesus. We might not understand every nuance of biblical doctrine, but we've got to know who Jesus is. We've got to know who He is. Real Christianity rises and falls on how we answer this question: who is Jesus? Say that with me. Who is Jesus? I can't answer that question for you. I can only answer it for me, but who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus? Paul writes in Colossians 2:8 through 10, and he tells us the truth about Jesus, and this is what we should focus on this morning. See to it, he writes, that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Let me read that again. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness He is the head over every power and authority. Lord, I love you. I praise your name. And I I, I pray, God, that you would just give us a clear vision of who Jesus is. And if our vision falls short of the reality, I pray in the name of Jesus, we would admit that. And we would see that it's your truth that matters. It's your reality that matters. No matter what we've been told, no matter how, the enemy has tried to distract us and take our eyes off of Jesus, use this message to draw our attention and our affection back toward You, Lord. Because we know You are God. And it's You only who can save us. It's You only who can meet the needs in our life. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to embrace this truth and to live by it. Because we know our very life depends on it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Man, there's so much in this passage of Scripture, I'm going to try to consolidate it down a little bit. I want you to to, to see that in verse 8, what Paul essentially is saying is keep your focus on Christ. Stay focused on Christ. Make sure your eyes and your heart is focused on Him. In spite of every effort made to distract you to get your eyes elsewhere in order to meet your needs, focus on Jesus. Now we've all heard and read stories of children who have been lured into a, uh, into a car by a stranger offering them candy, right? We've all heard those stories. That's exactly what verse 8 warns us about spiritually. See to it that no one takes you captive. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. That phrase, takes you captive, means Kidnapped. We tell our kids to never accept candy from a stranger. How many of you told your kids that? Never take candy from a stranger. Why? Because there's a trap. It's a trap. Well, Paul is telling us as the children of God to never accept any teaching, no matter how sweet it sounds, that takes our focus off of Christ. Now, we're not sure what particular heresy Paul is addressing here in the Colossian church. It's not named specifically but he does tell us uh, at least three characteristics that this false teaching had. In Colossians 2.11, Paul tells us that this heresy focused on ceremonies. The heresy focused on ceremonies. It focused on what you could and couldn't eat. It focused on how you should and shouldn't worship. It focused on when you should and shouldn't celebrate special days. It focused on ceremonies and feast days rather than on Christ himself. It focused on the how we worship, not the who we worship. And I can tell you this, the heresy still abounds today. There are people who are going to tell you this is how you're supposed to do it. If you don't do it this way, it's not right. You're going to go to hell. It's all about Jesus, man. It's not about the way you do it, it's about the who you're serving, the who you're worshiping, not the how of it. Understand, focused on angels was the second kind of characteristic of this heresy. Focused on spirit beings. Colossians 2.18 tells us that. Focused on the created rather than Christ the creator. Not long ago, there was a revival, Pentecostal charismatic, slash, and we are Pentecostal, and we're assembly of God. I'm, we're all prone to error, okay? Let's just say that but there was a revival taking place in Lakeland, Florida not long ago. And people were coming to it from all over the world because they wanted to be part of what God was doing in Lakeland, Florida. It was all about angels. It was all about what angels were telling this preacher and this preacher was, was preaching to the people. It was all about, it was focused on, it wasn't focused on Jesus. We're still prone to those kinds of things. There was a little church in Ozark, Alabama, when I was a youth pastor there. And I got a phone call one afternoon in my office from a lady in Pennsylvania saying, there's a revival going down in your area, and I want to know all about it. And I said, I really don't know what you're talking about. And then she started describing this little charismatic church on the edge of town. And she started talking about how she wanted to come be part of that revival because angel feathers were falling from the ceiling, and gold dust was alighting on the chairs. She was willing to drive or fly, this little old, and she was a widow, an older woman, probably on a fixed income. She was willing to travel all the way from Pennsylvania to little old Ozark, Alabama, so she could see angel feathers fall from the ceiling. And I'm like, ma'am, I bet Jesus is just as present at another church in your town right now. I bet you could encounter Jesus right where you are if you'll just call out his name. Why do you have, feel the need to go all the way from Pennsylvania to Ozark, Alabama to experience Christ when he's right there in the living room with you? But she it was all about that stuff, that stuff. Man, it's all about Jesus. Let's get this into our head. It's all about Christ, all about Jesus. Another part of this heresy, excuse me, That Paul was talking about excuse me I'm sorry (laughs) having some sinus issues this morning this heresy focused on gaining secret knowledge gaining secret knowledge Colossians 2 18 talks about it secret knowledge that gives spiritual power secret knowledge that gives an abundant life secret knowledge that gives you special standing with God Mystical experiences that put you in direct contact with God. Focused on, it was they were trying to get them to focus on knowing spiritual secrets, knowing spiritual revelations, having these mystical experiences, rather than knowing Christ Himself. You see, the great joy here is to know a person, not to simply have an experience with the person, but to know the person, Jesus Christ. The heresy is still out there. Go to any Christian bookstore this morning if they were open, and you would see three steps to having all your prayers answered. Four steps to experiencing God more. You want more of God? You want more of Christ? Ask him. Ask him. Jesus, I'm not satisfied with who I am right now. I want you to show up, and I want you to fill my life till I overflow. I want you to minister to my life. I want you to strengthen this area of my life. I want you to deliver me from this problem, right? Listen, it's all about Jesus, guys. It's not about special revelation, secret knowledge. It's about Jesus. Jesus. Hebrews twelve two says, let us fix our eyes on who? Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Be on your guard against any teaching that takes your focus off of Christ. Any teaching that suggests you need more than Jesus to save you or complete you will lead you away into spiritual captivity of some kind. So let's talk about who Christ is for just a minute. Who is Christ? Who is Christ? Verse 9 says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Would you read that verse with me? That's one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. As we read it now, what I want you to do is emphasize the word all. Read it with me. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Let's read it again one more time, just like that. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Listen, this is probably the clearest expression of, of Christ's deity in the Bible. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, not just a man. Not a created being who simply represents God to us in human form. Not a man who became God at some moment in time. Not a human body borrowed by God then discarded when God was done with it. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh with the very nature of God and all the attributes of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Don't diminish who Christ is. That's what most false teaching will attempt to do is diminish the way you see Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives not lived not will live not did live lives present tense in bodily form jesus christ is god in the flesh and the bible affirms this over and over and over again ad nauseum john 1:1 says the word jesus was god john 1:14 says the word jesus became flesh Jesus himself claims to be God. I've heard that. Uh, man, I tell you guys, I've, I've engaged in so many conversations with people who said Jesus never said he was God. Jesus never said he was God. That was something man attributed to him. Listen to what Jesus said in John ten thirty: I and the Father are one. I, I and the Father. Would you dare say that about yourself and the Father? Heck no, because you know it's not right. Jesus said I and the Father are one. A couple of verses later, the Jews, the religious leaders, knew exactly what he was talking about because they said to him, that you, they, 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 they said that he was uh, blaspheming the Lord. And, and what, what you see in John 10.33 is that when they accuse him of being God, in John 10.33, he never disputes it. You're saying that you're God. He never disputes it he received worship Jesus receives worship as God when Thomas looked at his nail-scarred hands and said in John 20 28 my Lord and my God Thomas falls at his feet and worships him as God and Jesus accepts that worship do you think he believed he was God Peter worshiped Jesus as God when he said in second Peter 1 1 our God and Savior Jesus Christ Paul declared in Romans 1, 4, Jesus was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. That word Lord is a word that's only used in reference to God. Look, the Bible says this. The Bible makes it clear. Unlike all other men who ever lived, Jesus lived perfectly and without sin as God would. Jesus forgave sins as God would. Jesus performed miracles like God when he healed the sick, cast out demons, and raised the dead. Jesus demonstrated uh, God's authority over creation by walking on water, calming storms, and feeding the multitudes. Jesus taught with such divine authority like God that it amazed religious leaders and it turned religion on its ear. Though there have been many great men, there have been many great teachers throughout history, none of them, none of them have done such things. None of them have performed such miracles and none of them have claimed to be God as Jesus did. Listen, I love what C.S. Lewis did. He kind of he brings all this to a head when he says in mere Christianity, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people, that people often say about him, Jesus Christ. Here's the foolish thing. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. How do you answer the question, who is Jesus? How do you answer that question? It means all the difference in the world. Who is Jesus to you? I'll tell you who the Bible says he is, and this is who he is to me. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that there are denominations and churches out there that teach that Jesus is not God, but he is a creation of God? Why does it matter Why does it matter that we believe that He is the Son of God? I tell you, it has a couple of really practical outworkings from this doctrine that Jesus is God in the flesh. Two practical applications I want to point out to you, and I hope that you hear them and embrace them for yourself. Listen, if you understand who Jesus really is, if you understand who Jesus really is, then you'll know you can really trust Him for everything you need. If you know who He really is, then you can really trust Him. You can trust Him for your salvation. You can trust Him for your salvation. If Jesus is who the Bible says He is, God in the flesh, then He's all we need for salvation. He supplied the perfect life that was needed to satisfy the penalty for our sins. Jesus supplied the perfect righteousness that God places in our account when we repent and believe in Him. His life and His righteousness are enough to secure the salvation of anyone and everyone who believes in Him. Jesus is enough if He is who He claims to be, God in the flesh. If Jesus is who He claims to be, God in the flesh, then anyone can be saved. Anyone. 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 And right now you're thinking to yourself, I bet they can't be. And I'm saying, yes, they can. <laughs> I had a question. Do you think my so? and I'm not going to talk about the conversation, but there was some, somebody did something awful and they asked me, and I, I think they wanted me to say, no, they can't be saved because they went too far. But the reality is there's no one that's gone so far they can't be saved. Anyone can be saved. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that Whoever. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If Jesus is who the Bible says he is, the very uh, uh, God in flesh, then every sin can be forgiven. There are some of you sitting in this room right now. You don't believe that what you've done against the Lord and against other people can be forgiven. And I am telling you, yes, it can, because Jesus is God. Every sin can be forgiven. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, leaving nothing out. If Jesus is who He claims to be, God in the flesh, then everyone can experience eternal life. It's a promise made to everyone. John 6.40 says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at that last day. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, when God died on the cross as a man in our place, He paid the full price for our sins. He paid the full price for our sins and the sins of all mankind. As He died, listen, Jesus said this in, in John 19, 20, it is finished. That literally means paid in full. The debt you and I owed, owed because of our sin, Jesus has wiped that slate clean and our debt has been paid in full. You don't need anything else. You don't need anybody else. All you need is Jesus. Right? But here's the problem. This is what's creeped in to the church. Maybe you're here this morning and you think you think to yourself, because that's just where you're at I've got to be a good person and I've got to do good things to be saved and I've got to i the good that I do has to outweigh the bad that I do in order for me to get to heaven and I'm telling you no all you need is Jesus he's all you need maybe maybe you're, you're here and because of what you've been told or, or what you've heard in the past Maybe you believe that you just have to think good thoughts and you need to believe in yourself and you need to build your self-esteem in order to get to heaven and be saved. No, 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 no. All you need is Jesus. That's, he's all you need. He's all you need. Maybe, maybe you're sitting in here and, 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 you're, and, and you're thinking to yourself because of what has been preached to you in the past, what examples you have seen and the way things have been presented to you, maybe you've been told that you have to have some kind of special knowledge or you have to have some kind of mystical experience like speak in tongues or be slain in the Spirit in order to be saved. And I want to tell you, all you need is Jesus. You don't need some kind of special knowledge. All you need is a relationship with Christ. You don't need some kind of mystical experience. All you need is to encounter Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He is all you need for salvation. Listen, this is the truth. Jesus didn't pay for only part of your salvation. He paid for it all. He paid for it all. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you can trust Jesus for salvation and eternal life. You don't need anything else. You don't need anyone else. Romans 10, 9 says it as clearly as anything. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. The question for us today is, for you and me is, do we believe that Jesus paid it all? Do we believe that God, in the flesh, died for us on the cross and paid the penalty for all of our sin? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Will you trust him and take him at his word? Or do you still think, i got to do something else. i got to add to that. i gotta, I got to take on this. i got to become that. Or do you just rest in the knowledge that he has saved you by his grace? Ah oh, man, I feel like I'm flying through this. I want to have a conversation, but we can't stop. You see, if Jesus Christ really is God in the flesh, you can trust him for your salvation. You don't have to put your trust in anything else or anyone else. You rest in Christ and Christ alone. You get that? <laughs> Half of us, good. The second practical outworking or application of this, and this, this may come home a little bit, is that you can also trust Jesus for your daily needs. If Jesus truly is God in the flesh, not just a man, not just a man representing God, not just a created being who became God at some point in the past, but if you really believe that Jesus is who the Bible claims him to be, God in the flesh, you can trust him for all of your daily needs. I mean, wouldn't you feel better if you knew there was some kind of purpose for the struggle that you're in today? Wouldn't it make you feel better? Would you enjoy life more if you knew you were headed in the right direction? How many nights have you tossed and turned wondering how you were going to pay those bills and make those ends meet? All of you sleep good last night? How many times have you felt paralyzed out of fear of making the wrong decision? The answer to all those questions and the answer to all these needs is Jesus. Jesus, the Bible, man, the, Bible, the Bible keeps pointing us back to Jesus. You don't need me to fix you, you need Jesus to fix you. You don't need a counselor to fix you. He may help you, but you need Jesus to fix you. You don't need a doctor to fix you, you need Jesus to fix you. He may use a doctor, but you keep your focus on Jesus. You don't need a banker, you don't need a new job. You don't need a new career. You don't need edu- to fix you. You need Jesus. Those things He will bring to you and they will help you, but it's all about Jesus. If you will focus your attention and your affection on Jesus, Matthew 6.33, it's our favorite verse, right? Say it again, say it again. Real out. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things they'll be added unto you. Our problem is we want to seek all these other things hoping the kingdom gets added to us. We got it backwards, man. I'm telling you. You focus on Jesus, Jesus will take care of your needs. How many of you found that to be true already? Thank you. Thank you for those hands. Amen. Listen, listen to what the Bible says. Philippians 4 says this, "Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition With thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4:19. And my God will meet all come on, bigger than that. Oh, Oh, bigger than that. All your needs, according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. James 1:5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given him. Romans eight thirty two. This is now becoming one of my favorite verses. I hope it becomes one of yours too. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. Oh, it's weak again. Come on now. All. all things. You think God's holding out on you? Do you think he is grudgingly going to give you half of what you need? He is going to generously give you whatever you need because of Christ, God in the flesh, who paid the price for you. You are his treasured possession. He's not going to hold out on you. Don't you get it? Don't you get it? The message of the gospel is so simple. The message of the gospel is so simple and it's so powerful. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh who died to save us and give us life and life to the full. Trust Him. Trust Jesus for salvation. Trust Jesus for your daily needs. Trust Jesus in it all, through it all, and for it all. The question is, do you trust Him today? Do you trust Jesus today? are you still trying to trust in yourself? You're still trying to figure this thing out. You're still grasping for stuff. You're still living in fear. I'm telling you, there's no room for fear in a heart filled with faith. Trust Him. Colossians 2.10 says this, and in Christ, (laughs) again a great verse, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. How many of you today would say, I have put my faith and trust in Christ. I am in Christ. My life is hidden in Christ. I am saved. Come on, raise your hand. Are you in Christ today? Are you half full? Are you a quarter full? What does that verse say? Full! Oh, that's right. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Fullness. Completion. Like a water glass that's filled with fresh, clean, refreshing water, you are filled with Christ. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet, you are filled with Christ. You lack nothing. You are complete in Him. You are filled, full, or even better, you are fulfilled in him. You are fulfilled and in and only in the incomparable Christ who fills you to you overflow. Nothing else and no one else can, can or will complete you as Jesus does. Not that man sitting beside you today, you think that man's going to complete you? No. No, that man leaks like you do. That woman leashes like you do. That job that you're scrambling to get, if I could just get that job, man, my life would be complete. Some of us got that job we thought would fill it and It wasn't all that. Right, Don? I mean, it's not going to be all that. It's going to be nice. And God will use it to take care of your needs, but it's not going to be the thing. That's right, man. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about recognizing I'm, full, I'm, I'm, I'm fulfilled already because Christ is in my life. My marriage isn't what it ought to be, but that's all right. In Christ, I'm filled. My job, I don't really like, you know, like, you know it's Monday morning again for crying out loud. That's me every Monday morning, by the way. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to be stuck in my cage with all those teenagers all day long. Sorry. But that job doesn't define me. Christ defines me. He fills me up. You know, come on, guys. Let's get out of thinking. Let's get it where it needs to be, man. Jesus lives in us. Christ, God in the flesh, lives inside our hearts. He fills us, man. He fills us. Let's walk in that. Let's walk in that. We we don't lack anything. We don't lack anything. We are complete in Christ Jesus. I, I heard a story. I want to close up this way. Mike, if you come back. I heard a story about this uh, immigrant family who who saved for years and years to buy tickets so that they could sail to America and start their life over again. And once they got out to sea, this family carefully rationed the cheese and the bread they had brought along with them for their meals. And after three days, (laughs) the little boy looked at his dad and he said, listen, I hate cheese sandwiches. I hate cheese sandwiches and if I don't eat anything else before we get to America, I'm going to die. We've all heard that, haven't we? So the father, you know, looked around, dug a nickel out of his pocket and he gave it to his son and he let his son go to that ship's, he, he, he gave the nickel to his son and he told the son, he said, now listen, you take this nickel to the ship's galley and when you get there, buy yourself an ice cream cone. And that boy, you know, he tore out that door, he went down and when, when the boy returned home or returned back to the room a long time later, that boy walked through the door with a big smile on his face, and his worried father looked at him and said, Where have you been? And the boy replied, I was in the galley, like you told me. I was eating three ice cream cones and a steak dinner. And the father said, You got all that for a nickel? And the boy said, Oh no, the food is free. It all comes with the ticket. Listen to what I'm saying. Jesus is the ticket to a full and abundant life. You hear what I'm saying? Some of us are begging and scrounging and trying to figure it out on our own, and I'm saying Christ has already provided that for you. Would you just trust him? Would you just walk in his love? Would you just accept and embrace the grace that he offers you today? Will you just see him for who he is? He's not just a man like you. He's God in the flesh. And what he says goes. You know what he says? You're complete in me. You are, full. you are full. You need nothing else. Jesus Christ is that ticket. He is that ticket to life and life to the full. Jesus Christ is our God. He is our Savior. He has paid the full price for all we need in this life and the life to come. Trust him. Trust him. Would you say, bow your heads with me? I want you to pray a prayer with me, and we're going to stand and worship him today. Oh, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Stand up. I almost feel like we need to repent because there is so little trust in our hearts for Jesus. We don't trust Him for anything. We don't. We, we don't. We think we got to do a little bit, something extra. We got to go an extra mile in order to be saved. And he says, No, 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 no. My blood's enough. Trust me. And I see so many of us grasping, trying to think we got to figure life out. I've got to do this. I've got to go there. I've got to be with them in order for my life to be complete. And Jesus saying, No, 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 no. All you need is me. Trust me. So I want to pray a little prayer together with you and then we're going to focus our worship on Him. And I want us to express our godly sorrow for not trusting Him enough. For not giving Him the glory that's due His name. By thinking somehow we know better than He does. Because I'm telling you what, This is the crux of this Christian faith. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. You may not understand it. You may not comprehend it. You may not have all the answers. But trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Say this prayer with me. Jesus. Jesus. My heart breaks. Because I don't trust you enough. I depend too much on my own understanding. I depend too much on on what other people tell me. I I find myself myself distracted distracted by what others say about you. you. I find myself myself not trusting you as as I should. This This morning, I ask you, Help me, to focus again on you. Help me to focus again on You. Help me to fix my eyes on You, Jesus. You are the author and the perfecter of this faith. I want to hear Your voice. I want to see You with my own eyes. I want You to tell me Your truth I want you to tell me so I can walk in it. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, you, Jesus.